So, you got your Bibles open to Acts chapter 8. Here's what I want to do tonight. Um, we're going we're gonna to kind of pick up where Benaiah left off. We're, we're going to look at the next crazy thing that happens in the book of Acts. And so what I want to do is I want to read us the passage, and then I want to dig into it a little bit. I want to bring out maybe some of the specifics of it and get us kind of all on the same page so we understand what's going on. And then I want to dig in and say, what does this look like for our life? It's really easy to pick up the Bible and read something and go, okay, I understand it, and never get to, like, what does it mean for me? How do I apply this? What do I learn from this in my 21st century life? So we're going to spend about the last 15 minutes or so doing that, okay? So flip open, Acts chapter 8, we're going to pick up in verse 26. This is what it says. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And so he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Well, then Philip ran up to the chariot, and he heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet, do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. Well, how can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. And so he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. It's amazing to me. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was depraved of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch, asked, the eunuch asked Philip, he said, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Pretty amazing, right? Like an angel of the Lord speaking to him. He just happened to be reading a passage that was a prophecy about Jesus. Amazing, right? So I want, I want to dig into this. I want, to, I want us to kind of be on the same page. Who's Philip? Who's the eunuch? What is, it, what is a eunuch? What does that mean? So Philip was not an apostle. So remember, we have the original 12 apostles, right? And then Judas kind of falls off, right? Judas betrays Jesus. He kills himself. He falls off. He's replaced. So you have 12 apostles. Philip was not one of those guys. That's not who Philip was. Philip was a lay leader, okay? We first learn about Philip in Acts chapter 6. This wasn't a passage that we actually did a, a sermon on. But in Acts chapter 6, the Grecian uh, Jews are complaining that their widows aren't getting enough food and so the, to the apostles. And the apostles are like, listen, we need to spend time studying God's word, teaching God's word, and praying. Let's ask some people that we trust to kind of deal with this and pass out food and make sure everybody gets what they want. So Philip, that's where we're first introduced to Philip. Philip was, was one of those guys. Philip, that, so that's Acts chapter 6. Philip then reappears in Acts chapter 8, 
and when the church is persecuted, so which must have been a horrible thing at the time, right? So the church in Jerusalem, is, it's not getting safe there to be a Christian anymore. And so what they do is they scatter. And so Philip goes to a place called Samaria, a little bit north of there. So he's the guy that preached and did miraculous things that led to the guy that Benaiah looked at last week, Simon the Saucer, apparently coming to faith in Jesus. And so you see how God uses horrible things like persecution, right, to kind of spread people to move them where he wants them to go. So that's what he did with Philip. So then we see Philip here again in the second part of Acts chapter 8, and it says an angel comes to him with a message from God. That, by the way, is what angels do. A lot of times we have some bad theology running around our culture with angels. People don't become angels when they die. I don't know how many times I've heard that. We don't become angels. Angels are other created beings, heavenly beings that God created, and they share messages. They're messengers of God. And so God sent an angel to share a message with Philip. And he says, hey, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go hang out at that road that goes down through the desert from Jerusalem to Gaza. And so he does. Philip responds, right? He does do that. And so he goes down and he meets this important Ethiopian official who serves the queen of Ethiopia. And he's a eunuch. Do you know what a eunuch is? It's kind of uncomfortable to talk about. A a eunuch is somebody who's been emasculated. A eunuch is, is somebody who's had their genitals cut off. They've been castrated. And you say, like, why would somebody do that? Well, in, in the pagan kingdoms that were around back then, oftentimes they did that for people, especially ones that would serve with some of the ladies of the kingdom so that they wouldn't mess around with any of the king's ladies. And so to the Jews, so God would say, nowhere in the Bible is that commanded, right? And so to the Jews, this was a detestable thing. And so this guy was going up, he went up to Jerusalem to worship, right? And so even though he was a Gentile, he seemed to have this, this legitimate faith, right, in God. He seemed to be a legitimate convert to, to uh, Judaism. However, even though he believed and even though he followed Judaism, he wouldn't have been able to fully participate in Judaism. When he went to the temple, it said he came down from Jerusalem. So when he went to the temple, he wouldn't have been able to worship in the inner part of the temple. He would have had to stay on the outskirts of the temple. Do you know why? Because he was a eunuch. Because he had been mutilated. This is what it says in Deuteronomy 23.1. So this is back in the Old Testament. This is what it says. It says, no one who's been emasculated by crushing or cutting may enter the assembly of God. So we could probably dig into that a little bit more. But I think for right now, just accept that he wasn't allowed to worship fully, right? He wasn't allowed to be a full Jew, okay? And so this eunuch was reading Isaiah 53. And back then, they usually read aloud. That's how they did it. And so Philip could hear him reading this. Do you know what Isaiah 53 is all about? this This is absolutely amazing. This is one of those things that causes me to believe, that causes me to trust the Bible. Isaiah 53 is a prophecy. So it was written 700 years before Jesus, okay? 700 years before Jesus. And it's a prophecy about the coming Messiah, okay? That's what Isaiah 53 is about. And so this is, to me, this is like one of those excellent reasons to trust the Bible, to trust that Jesus is who he said he is. I want to read this to you. We're going to throw it up on the screen, at least a portion of Isaiah 53, because I want you to see this. This is what this guy was reading when Philip just so happened to be walking by. Here's what it says. He was despised. So this is about, this is a prophecy about Jesus. We know now it's about Jesus, written 700 years before Jesus came. 
He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hid their faces. He was, ple- dis- I'm sorry, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. By his wounds we are healed. Sounds a lot like what Jesus did on the cross, right? We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, and yet he didn't open his mouth. He was like a lamb led to the slaughter. And as a sheep before it shears the silence, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of this generation protested? He's cut off in the land of the living for the transgressions of my people. He was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord made his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in the land. And then, and then in verse 12 it says, For he bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. It's amazing, guys. This is like that is so clearly what Jesus did. He bore our sins, right? He suffered for us. It was God's will that our sin be placed on him so that we could be forgiven. This is written 700 years before Jesus came. And this is exactly what this guy was reading when Philip walked up to him. And so when Philip heard what this guy was reading, it was clear what God was calling him to do. He asked the man if he understood what he was reading, and when the eunuch said no, he asked Philip to explain it to him, right? And Philip did, and he used that very passage to explain to him about the gospel of Jesus. And then the man was saved. The man believed, and he was saved. And then amazingly, in the middle of a desert, right? In the middle of a desert, they come along some water. It says on that road from Jerusalem to Gaza, it even calls it in the, in the uh, text, it's a desert road. They just so happen, right, to come upon water. And he asked Philip to baptize him. So they get out of, the, water, they get out of the, car- the chariot and he baptizes him right then and there. And then even more amazingly, after he baptizes him, God suddenly took Philip away. And there's a little confusion, like we're a little uncertain. Is that like something where God went, and then poof, he's gone? Or is it something where God just kind of spoke to him again and said, now you need to go? And immediately after he baptized him, he moved on. A little unsure. I think that God literally transported him somewhere else. And so he eventually goes on, it says, to Azotus and then to Caesarea. I think it was a miraculous thing that God did. So this guy was seeking God, right? This eunuch was seeking God, and he was excluded from fully experiencing him because of his physical deformity, right? Because he was a eunuch. And now, through Jesus, he was a full son of God with the full rights of sonship in Christ. Which, by the way, it's so fast. I mean, it's so fascinating. When you get three chapters later in Isaiah, there's this beautiful promise that through the Messiah, Gentiles, foreigners, do you know what a Gentile is? A Gentile is anybody who's not a Jew, basically, right? So foreigners, people that weren't Jews. In three chapters after the passage he was reading, there's another prophecy that one day through the Messiah, Gentiles and eunuchs would be maybe more than sons and daughters of God, which is exactly what this guy experienced. So that's the story. 
This guy, by the way, this Ethiopian eunuch, he was the very first Gentile in the whole book of Acts that we have record of that came to know Jesus. So amazing stuff, right? Like amazing story about what God does. He speaks to Philip. Philip responds, and God uses him to bring this Ethiopian to the Lord. So what can we learn from it? This is, this is, again, I, want, I just want to stress this one more time. It's so important. Like, we can pick up the Bible, and we could read something, and maybe even check it off our list. I know I'm supposed to do this, and so I'm going to read the Bible today, and go, okay, I understand what it says, and then set it down, and never take that next step of saying, so what does it mean for me? Like, what's the point in just reading the Bible if we never apply it to our lives today, Right? So I want to do that. The first thing, like when I read this and I see what Philip did and I see what God did through Philip, the first thing that sticks out to me, it makes me ask myself this question, am I willing and available to be used by God? I see how available Philip was. I see how willing he was. But am I willing and available to be used by God? Like I want to see God do amazing things. I genuinely want to see God do amazing things. And I think my heart is right with that. Like, I want to see him get the glory for things. I don't want people to say, oh, that Jeff, he's something special. I want them to say, God is special, right? But to do that, I have got to be willing to step out and go where he's calling me to go and be genuinely available to him. I've got to be at God's disposal and be willing to do the things that he puts on my heart, even if I prefer not to do them, right? You wonder what Philip was thinking when this angel came to him. I want you to go hang out by the road. Well, maybe I'd prefer not to do that, right? I want to do what God's calling me to do, even if I prefer something else. I've had times in my life where I've done this well. Like, I bet you have too, you know? Like being a pastor, for example, I never had a desire to be a pastor. I never did. Like it wasn't like this lifelong dream that I had growing up or anything like that. But then after I came to know the Lord, I felt like God was calling me that way. And I thought, boy, that's a lot of responsibility. You know, you are, people watch you all the time. All of a sudden, if you mess up, that affects a broad group of people. I felt like God was calling me, and so I took a step to do that. And after about two years of ministry, a full-time ministry at a church, I officially was licensed as a pastor. It's pretty cool. I never wanted to be a lead pastor or a, or a campus pastor or a senior pastor. In fact, I don't know how many times I said, I want to be a number two. I'm a number two guy. I didn't want the responsibility, right? I didn't want to have to preach every week. And yet when you start feeling, about five years ago, I started feeling God, like, call me, you know? to step out and to do this, to like Barberdom was on my heart. And last year, last August, officially as we were getting ready to plant this campus, I became the campus pastor. Never desired that before. This time in Haiti, I, one of the things that I never, I never desired and never felt like God was calling me toward was full-time foreign missions, like missions out of the country somewhere. I never wanted to be a missionary. Like, I kind of like where I live. I kind of like the comforts of, of being around here and my family and all those things. But I'll be honest with you, when I was in Haiti this last time, I, uh, I thought I could, I could see God calling me to do this one day. Not, not anytime soon, like not right now, you know. 
We're very confident that this is where God wants us to be. But I thought if he calls us, we'll go. I haven't talked to Marsha about this yet, but I I assume she'll go with me. I don't know. But then I've had other times in my life where I wasn't very willing. I I wasn't available to God. You know, where I, I go somewhere and I think, man, I hope I don't run into anybody I know. I just don't feel like talking to anybody right now. Or I go, go someplace and I'm just kind of selfish with my time and my priorities. And I think, I have got stuff I have got to get done. I don't have time for any distractions right now. You ever feel that? When I look at Philip's availability to God and his willingness to go where God calls him, man, it's humbling for me. I step back and I ask myself, like, am I honestly available to be used by God any way that he wants to use me? I want you to ask yourself that question tonight. Are you honestly available to be used by God? Are you willing to be used by God any way he wants to use you? That's a humbling question. The second thing that I notice with Philip is that he's really listening to God. He makes himself available. His heart's willing to go where God leads him, right? And then he's listening for God to speak to him. And when he hears it, he responds. So I read this, I ask myself this question, am I listening to God speak to me? Am I, like, am I listening to God speak to me? Now, Philip seemed to have an unusually clear call from God to approach this eunuch, right? And he, God sends an angel of the Lord to speak to him. God can do this today, right? But this is like not normal. This is not God's normal MO. This is not how he normally does it. I've ne- God's never sent an angel to me to say, Jeff, go plant the Barberton campus, right? Like, that's not, that ain't how it happened for me. Maybe he has for you. But God is still speaking to us in ways that we can understand today if we're listening. Like, if we're listening, are you genuinely available to God? Are you at God's disposal, willing to go where he leads you? And are you asking God to lead you where he wants you to go and are you listening to him as he does that? Guys, I know that like, this, sounds, this sounds a little bit mysterious, like a little nebulous, like, like are you listening to God? And I, and I guess it is. I guess it is kind of a mystical sort of thing. But listen, it's not crazy either. God is in the business of speaking to us in ways that we can understand. He speaks to our hearts many times in very clear ways. We just have to listen. How do you listen? I'm going to rock your world. Ready? This is going to be profound. How do you listen to God? Spend time with him. Right? Turn off the TV. Flip off the cell phone. Slow down your life and spend time with God. It doesn't say in the text, but I would be willing to bet a lot of money that Philip spent a significant amount of time with God. It doesn't say that, but I'd be willing to bet a lot of money that Philip spent a significant amount of time with God. It's tough to hear him without that. To hear him, we need to be with him. We need to talk to him, and we need to listen. And, and may I give us a warning? As you're listening to God, as you're asking him, lead me, and you make yourself willing and available to him, can I give you a warning? Sometimes God calls us to do some uncomfortable things. God called Philip to go stand on the desert road. Just go hang out over there, Philip. Just go. I'll tell you what to do when the time's right. 
In uh, Haiti, voodoo is really popular. It's all over the place. And voodoo is demonic. It's evil. Voodoo is not from God. Voodoo is from the devil. And so in Haiti, it's all over the place. In Haiti, I thought I was pretty confident that we would have a couple encounters with voodoo. Well, one day, we were walking around with one of the missionaries, and she offered to take us around the village and just meet some of her friends and go into their homes and just kind of experience uh, those relationships. And so, of course, we said yes. And it was really cool talking to people and, and seeing their homes and everything. And then she showed us the house of the voodoo priest. So this is literally right across the street, right across the little dirt road from where we were staying. They have, you can know who is uh, practicing voodoo because they have a particular flag that they fly right outside. So everything's in, everything's walled in there. Everybody's property's walled in in various ways. So hanging up from the wall, you have the flag. And so uh, she asked if we wanted to go in and meet him. Well, I try to listen to the Lord, right? Like I'm trying to, I'm trying to hear him. And I sense that this is a good thing. I sense that there is nothing to fear. And so we went in and we, and we met with him. And it just so happened, this is so cool. I mean, this is just how God works. It just so happened that um, he had broken his ankle uh, like maybe a couple weeks before, like broken it badly. And in the village that we were at, there's no hospital or anything like that. And he didn't have money to go into Port-au-Prince to the hospital to get an x-ray. In fact, he, he didn't have any pain medication or anything for like the first few days or a week or so after that. And so uh, he finally got some pain medication, but they suspected that it was broken and it was like this. The bone wasn't set. And uh, he's just in a bad place. He may never be able to walk again on that ankle. And uh, God is using that. It's beautiful, guys. God is using that in his life to bring him to Jesus. So the missionaries have been going over to visit him. And so we got a chance then to pray with him. So uh, he knows that we were Christians. This is the voodoo priest in the village, right? He knows that we are Christians. And got a chance to put my hand on him and pray with him, and it was a powerful time. God uses, God uses that, right? He didn't come to Jesus yet. He didn't make a decision yet, but we're still praying for him, and we trust that God is pulling him toward Christ. Are we listening to what God is calling us to do when we step out, when we're available, when we listen, we make ourselves available, and we follow him, we get a chance to be a part of him doing absolutely amazing things. The last thing that really strikes me from this story with Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch is that Philip started right where this eunuch was at, right where he was at in his faith, and then he explained the gospel to him. And so here's what I ask myself. Am I able to explain the gospel to others right where they're at? Am I, am I, ask yourself this question. Are you able to explain the gospel to other people right where they're at? This takes a lot of listening, right? Like to actually know and understand where people are at in their understanding of God and faith and spiritual things. It takes a lot of listening on our part and discernment on our part. After our flight was, was canceled, to, uh, so we were in Miami, all the bomb stuff that turned out to be dentist stuff, <laughs> uh, we had to go to a hotel, so our flight was canceled, we had to stay in there, and so we had to hop a cab, and it just so happens that the cab that we uh, jumped into was driven by a guy who was clearly a Muslim, 
uh, you could just tell he was. And uh, so we get in the cab, and I thought, this is not by chance, right? Like, this is, this is not just happenstance. And so you got, you got two pastors and a godly man in the back seat, and uh, he has his little name tag there and uh, said his name was Muhammad. And so I said, uh, Muhammad, where are you from? And he said, Pakistan. And I think he said, are you Muslims? <laughs> and, uh, and then he said, are there Muslims where you're at? And uh, I said, yeah, you know, there's some Muslims. We have a university nearby. There's some Muslims where we're at. And, uh, you know, we, I said, we're Christians, <laughs> Which I, I, I was wondering, like, what Zach and Adam were thinking in the backseat. You know, we don't know this guy. I said, we're, we're Christians, and we just got back from Haiti, and uh, we were on a missions trip there. And, we, and then we just started asking him questions. I said, you know, what, what do you miss most? How long have you been here? What do you miss most about Pakistan? And we started talking about his faith. And I'll tell you what, it was one of the most pleasant conversations that we've had. I mean, it was, it was beautiful. And... Uh, he, believe it or not, had been to Haiti on a missions trip 30 years earlier on a Muslim missions trip. And he said, uh, he talked about how disgusted he was with Muslims or Christians or Jews who um, weren't really practicing their faith and they weren't really loving people or accepting people, but they wanted to sit in judgment of people. And, uh, and we shared those same feelings with him. And uh, we just got a chance to love him. And in, in my opinion, what, what Mohammed needed most at that moment, like right where he was at, was to see that there are Christians out there who are civil people. There are Christians out there. We never got a chance to, like, ask him if he wanted to become a Christian. He wasn't ready for that, right? It wasn't appropriate to do that at the moment. But we got a chance to show him that there's Christians that actually care about people, there's Christians that care about him, right, that are civil, that are loving, that aren't filled with hate and ignorance, but instead are kind and accepting. And I, think, I think we were able to show him that. We didn't push the gospel on him. We didn't try to make him pray a quick prayer before we got, off of the, got out of the cab and into the hotel. We just loved him. Now, if we felt like he was at a different place, like if we felt like he was close, like he was wanting to leave Islam right then and follow Jesus, you would have bet, you better bet that we would have done that. But he wasn't there. We were trying to understand where he was at and love him right where he was at and be another rung in, in the chain that God was creating, pulling Mohammed to Jesus. Guys, that's what we got to do. Like, can you in your life as you talk to people, as you meet people, can you just listen to them and understand them? And instead of us looking down our noses at them and saying, well, you, you, you just don't get it. Look at me, I get it. Instead of that, loving them and, and looking for opportunities to show them and tell them about Jesus. If we want to be used by God to help people come to Jesus, we got to be able to explain the gospel to them, right? This was a cool opportunity for us to do that. You know, what, you know what I think is so cool about this passage in the Bible? God went to all this work. God went to all this trouble for one guy. God went to all this trouble for a mutilated Gentile, an unacceptable person 
who seemed to be honestly seeking God with all of his heart. God went to great lengths to pursue this guy. And I love that. Because many times we can think that God just works in big ways, right? We can read the book of Acts and we can see 3,000 people come to know Jesus. Amazing, Peter. 2,000 people come to know him. I think that God just works in big showy ways. God doesn't just work in big showy ways. God cares for each one of us. This, this tells us that. God cares for each one of us, and he's willing to go to great lengths to pursue us, to capture our hearts. But to be captured like him, like the eunuch, we need to be honestly pursuing God as well. He was pursuing God. If we want God to capture us, we got to be pursuing him as well. I want to ask you tonight, as we wrap up, like, are you honestly pursuing God? Like, where are you at in your life? A lot of times we can think that, you know, Christianity is about going to church. Well, I'm doing that. Being a good person. Trying to live the Christian life. Listen, that's not what Christianity is all about. That's not the core of Christianity. The core of Christianity is having a deep, personal relationship with the God of the universe through Jesus. That's the core. That song that we sang about grace, he's the one that gives us grace. Christianity is about loving Christ and following him. You know God. You know him. You talk to him. You listen to him. You live your life for him. He is the most important thing about you. I want to ask you tonight, like if you're not, I don't know where you're at. If you're not there, if if you're here tonight and you're seeking, this is a safe place for you. No one's going to pressure you into anything. I'm glad that you're here. But I want to challenge you. Like it's It's no coincidence that you're here. It's no fluke that you're here tonight. I'd really challenge you, if God's stirring something inside of you, it probably means that he's trying to capture your heart. Like you owe it to yourself to see if all of this stuff that we talk about every week at church is true. And if it is, you got to do something with it. There's people all around here that would love to talk to you. I encourage you, don't leave tonight without talking to somebody. If you're here tonight and you know God that way, like if you're you're trying to follow him, I want to ask you one last question. What is the Spirit leading you toward? The Spirit was leading Philip to go down this road and eventually reach this mutilated Gentile who is precious in God's sight and help him to know Jesus. What is the Spirit leading you toward? Sometimes we can look at our lives and it can have so much stuff going on, like so much chaos, and we can think so many things are really important, need to get done, that aren't really important and don't really need to get done. And we can miss out on the two most important things. You know two things in the Bible that are clearly important and eternal? Only two things we're very clear about. God and people. God and people. What is God's spirit leading you toward? It's not just to come to church and lead a quiet life and try to be a good person and do your business and try not to offend everybody. That's not what it's about. Like God's got plans for each of us. God's got people in each of our lives, whether you're a teenager, a senior citizen, or somewhere in between. God's got plans for us. What is God calling you toward? I really encourage you to think about that this week, to pray about that this week. God's got plans for you right where you're at tonight.